Hi, Dr. Craig Davies. I'm here with another episode of Achieve Depth Radio. Today, I am joined by the inventor of the edutainment moniker, Jason Glass. And, you know, he is one of the foremost experts in the world of rotational sports. You know, he's consulted with people from the NHL, the NFL, uh, Extreme Sports, and the PGA Tour, where he's worked with the likes of Adam Hadwin and Andrew Putnam. He's been the head of fitness for Golf Canada for numerous years and one of the lead instructors for the TPI uh, fitness programs. Uh, really, there is very few people on the planet who has such a broad spectrum of experience in terms of developing rotational power as Jason Glass does. Uh, his podcast, the Jason Glass or Coach Glass podcast, is incredible. I've had the opportunity to be on that podcast uh, twice now. Very fortunate to be able to do that. He can be found at home in British Columbia, Canada at the Tour Performance Lab. You need to check him out. Today's episode is incredible. Look forward to you listening to it. Here we go, Jason Glass. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Achieve Depth Radio. These are the leading experts in energy, nutrition, water, health and human performance, fitness and personal medicine. If you're looking to maximize your mental, physical, athletic and professional performance, these are the experts for you. Achieve Depth Radio, this is not what's now, this is what's next. Okay, well, I'm Dr. Craig Davies. We're here for another episode of Achieve Depth Radio, but we are actually live. Well, it won't be live when you hear this, but live from the World Golf Fitness Summit here in Orlando, Florida. And I am with a good friend of mine, one of the most interesting strength coaches, uh, both working with PGA Tour athletes, but helping national teams, lecturing across the world. You know, I, I can't even imagine how many seminars this guy has taught, but I am here with the one, the only Jason Glass. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here, bud. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Um, you know, I recently had you on my uh, Coach Glass podcast, and you're telling me about what what you're going to achieve here. Yes. Uh, not to use a pun for you, but uh, uh, I was just so excited just to come and, and be a part of this because I know that uh, this is, great things are coming your way with this. Yeah, it's been a long time trying to get this ready. I struggled with getting sound. You know, that was my <laughs> Well, you like problem. to do things properly. That's why. I do. I do. You never do anything halfway. <laughs> but I think we're good now. I think we're good. But, I, you know, I'm excited because, you know, one of the first times I met you was at a Team Canada um, camp, right? Yeah. And when you were at that camp, you had a ton of the kids from Golf Canada there. Yep. I think we were down in Scottsdale. That's correct. Mistaken, yeah, right? that's right. You and... Uh, Greg Redmond. Greg Redmond. Dr. Physio, Greg Redmond, right? yeah. So he, where's he out of again? He's out of Kelowna. Kelowna, what a great place. So while we were down there, you know, you had females, males, <laughs> uh, age ranges were, I don't even know if they were, some of them might have been tweens, but like, yeah. Really well, Brooke Henderson was probably 14 at yeah, the time, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. And all the way through, and you know, you work with some of the best players in the world now out on the PGA Tour. So how is your evolution as a coach? How has it been impacted by the opportunity to work with a group like Team Canada? Well, you know what? Being, being with uh, Team Canada, there were so many different layers to it. Um, I had to kind of program for everyone from the developmental level to the amateur, which was like you know the, the, the top amateurs of Canada, but also we were preparing them for the pros. So we had this transition where we had amateurs, we had professionals, and we had the 
really, you had to coach on all those different levels. Yeah. So we'd have about 40 people at a 40 athletes at a camp. Um, but what really helped my coaching develop was at these camps, we'd also have no resources. You'd have no equipment. We wouldn't have a strength and conditioning room. Uh, quite often we'd be at the back of the driving range because yeah that's where we were yeah at the back of a driving range exactly so where we were. i used to carry uh you know ultimate sandbags you know i'd carry these sandbags and fill them with water um i would have to use bands and uh, medicine balls but i'd have to travel with this little kit and to be able to train 40 athletes and program 40 athletes and and really try and get squeeze them the, that last percent of uh, greatness out of them using hardly any equipment it really forced me to adapt my coaching style and my right. philosophy. Yeah. And really that's where my load and explode or my uh, minimal dose concept came from was um, I was getting really, really good results, uh, getting people to, to load and explode without using resistance. Cause yeah. I didn't have resistance at my, at my fingertips. And so, yeah, it's really changed the way I, I train all my rotary yeah. athletes. So, you know, we were, we were talking before we came uh, on camera, right? So <clears throat> when you were working with 40 students, especially at that age. You know, they're still, their bodies are developing quickly. Um, a lot of them are doing incredible amounts of traveling, mm -hmm. even though they're young. And so you start to see a lot of the same patterns in these students. Yeah, right? so absolutely. Where, you know, where did you find in, in those days, and obviously it probably hasn't changed a ton since then, but in, in that developing young junior, where are you seeing the problem areas? Yeah, I mean, I think any athlete, um, when we talk about athletics, uh, people instantly think about strength and power, like they have to be stronger and faster than everybody else. But in rotary sports, um, I need them to be more efficient, truly. So I find that if, if an athlete has really, really like foundationally good control of their pelvis, if they have great core control and they can transfer energy through the pelvis, through their core, and they have scapular control. So the, I think of like the scapula as like the, the transmission that brings all that energy out to the arms. So I realized if I put my focus on scapular control, core control, and pelvic control, I was kind of getting like 80% of their needs met, especially in yeah. the developmental phases. And we were getting the results that we were looking for that you would normally see in strength conditioning programs. We were getting those just by hitting those key areas, which would be very different when I train a, a let's say, a NHL hockey player. Well, they also have some other needs because there's going to be collision and stuff. But right. for rotary athletes like golfers and, and throwers, quarterbacks and, and pitchers and, and extreme sport athletes, we're just trying to generate rotary speed. So you don't need big arms. You need really big, powerful legs and a, and a big uh, engine. But you don't need big pipes. You don't need a yeah. big chest and big neck. So yeah, uh, I leave that out of my programming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you went in. You did, you know, camps, numerous camps with, with Golf Canada. Uh, the team had incredible success. Um, and you know, as we all know, we're only as good as the talent that oh, we're absolutely. working with, right? But you had great success with your athletes. You learned a ton by working with a lot of athletes at the same time. Yes. This led you to understand that. Like you said, you've got your shoulder blades or scapula. That's an area that needs to be um, addressed. Uh, core, pelvic control, uh, hip mobility, all that kind of stuff. So now you're here. You, you know, how many lectures? Do you, <laughs> i got to ask that question. How many lectures do you think you've had or that you've done, sorry, in the last five years? Wow. Um, well, I, I lecture for... TPI. I'm the head of their strength or their uh, fitness advisory board. So I teach all the fitness level two and fitness level three classes. Um, 
and then we also teach all the level one classes. And we do one of those a month, uh, on average about one a month, and that's worldwide. You know, we, this year we've been to Korea, China. We've been traveling so much that on this one trip, I was coming through uh, Chicago, and then I ended up in this airport, and I actually lost, like I was like, I don't even know where I am. Yeah. I don't know what city I'm in. Yep. And then I saw someone urinating in the sink, and that's when I realized I was in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, I guess, <laughs> I guess I'm in Philly. No, but we do, we do travel a lot, um, and it, it's one of my favorite things to do in, in, my, uh, in my you know, myriad of things that I do in my business because I get to really inspire coaches. And it's almost like you're creating an army of people where if I just if I just train myself, I can only touch so many people. Absolutely, yeah. But through uh, through education, I think we can we can touch more. Yeah, there's there's no question. You know, a lot of people I feel, especially in North America, a lot of in the '90s and 2000s, I found that a lot of strength coaches specifically were very guarded. Yeah. With their information. Yeah. You know, keep when, it cl- t- yeah. close to your chest. When you but when I went to Europe, that was much more open. A yeah. Lot more sharing going on. Obviously with. Uh, the web, it becomes easier to access um, information. Absolutely. And it becomes less valuable to hoard it. Yep. But, you know, one of the things that is super powerful, if you want to make a real change, keeping that information close and only helping five athletes, yep. that really doesn't create change. So when you're going out there and you guys have addressed and you've, you know, you've lectured and taught thousands mm. of people who are then going yeah, out. We have 22,000 level one certifieds worldwide now. Right. It's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of people. Yeah, that's a city. <laughs> it's a small right? city. It's a small of... city, but it's a city. <laughs> so, you know, you do all that kind of work. And I find when I, when I teach or when I lecture, you know, as I did today, I learn way more by preparing for that lecture. Oh, yeah, right? absolutely. So I can't imagine... You know, for you guys who spend so much time lecturing, how that ingrains information in your brain. But my question is, how difficult then does it become? Because everything that we learn eventually has another layer to it, right? Right. Um, whether we find out something that we believe strongly in maybe wasn't exactly what we thought once you know new measurement techniques come out, mm-hmm. or um, there's just something else. Right. So how, like, when you're lecturing that much? How hard do you find it to stay open to new uh, ideas? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you've done hundreds yeah. of lectures, right? But really, it's it's like the TPI stuff that I teach, the, the programming has stayed fairly similar over the last five years. But in my own lectures for my own products, the Load and Explode one-day workshops that I do, and then also preparing for this World Golf Fitness Summit, yep. it's an eight-month process for me to get to get on the stage that you'll see tomorrow night. It's eight months of me doing a perform better uh, spot. So I, I do my presentation as perform better. And I listen to the questions that come up afterwards. Right. When, and I look at the audience and, and you feed from the audience when they're looking at you and they're kind of inquisitively. And I'm not trying to get them to ask themselves a question. I'm like, no, they sh- I'm giving you the answer here. And they look at you kind of funny. I start <laughs> yeah. going, oh, I might want to rewrite this part right, and, right. and change it around. So they, the evolution of it, I've done this particular uh, more of this um, thing for the last eight months. Awesome. And I really feel like it's ready. I feel like it's ready to, you know, to, to take it to market. And one of the things that I've learned about this, and, and this came from uh, Devin Walsh, one of my snowboard, way back in the day, backcountry snowboarder guy, he's taught me so much about how to train athletes, but he also taught me about business. He took one of his snowboard videos that they used to sell DVDs of, and he put it up on YouTube for free. 
And I was like, why, why would you do that? And you know, normally you'd want to sell these things for like $40. Right, and right. at the time I was making DVDs and I was selling them at Perform Better and I was like, you know, doing well with it. And he said, well, if we sell this DVD, we're going to have like about 800 sales. But we're banking on the fact that we're going to get more eyeballs if we put it on YouTube for free. So by doing that, the sponsors want to pay for eyeballs. They don't want to pay for you to sell more DVDs. So he got more sponsors. So I did something. I thought, okay, I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to produce like a real movie uh, workout video, like a follow along, kind of like P90X. Right, okay, I'm going to do yeah. a real workout yeah. video. And it's called the experiment for like rotational um, athletes. And I put it on YouTube for free instead of selling the DVD. Now, normally for me, I didn't sell 800 DVDs back in the day. I'd sell maybe three or 400 of each DVD. And we're now at 75,000 views. So to be able to touch 75,000 people and educate 75,000 people or put a few bucks in your back pocket. Yeah. And that's what we were talking about, like being open to sharing. Mm -hmm. I mean, what am I going to do with that extra money? Like, what are you going to buy with that? But 70, you know, inspiring or helping 75,000 peop 75, people and those emails you get from somebody that says, I'm, I'm a 45-year-old uh, 20 handicap in Florida and uh, you've really helped me. I've lost 10 pounds and, and I'm hitting the ball farther. Like, that's why you make, the, that's why you make those products. Like yeah. this, what you're doing right here, this is exactly that. You are giving away your intellectual property each, each time you do one of these. And right. it's, it's, there's value to that. But you're helping people. Yeah. No, you got to charge for it. You got to make money off of it. Yeah. What are you doing, Craig? <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's, it's so funny. So I just finished, I don't know what time it is, but a couple hours ago, finished my, uh, my presentation, right? And I had someone ask me for my slides. Yep. And I sat and I had to think about it for a minute because initially, like, you know how hard I worked to make these slides and collect them all and put the information together to do it? And then I thought, well, actually, I took information from Dr. Jean-Claude Guimberto. I took information from this person and from that person. And people who are just creative geniuses and who've gone out and, and pushed the boundaries and found out really cool pieces of information, I just told a story right. using their work, right? Yep. So, but through your lens. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Because yeah. my, my experience at this point has allowed me to figure out this is how I'm seeing this right. and putting the story together. But by giving my slides over, right? Now the person did say that they're not going to use them. Yeah. <laughs> no, I want to do that same talk. Yes. <laughs> exactly like you did. Yes. <laughs> but by doing that, who knows what that ends up creating, right? So that right. person might go out and make a huge difference talking to whoever it is that they work with. And so initially I was thinking, okay, no, I'm not going to do that. Or I'm going to cut out most of the slides and just give them a few of them. Yep. But to be honest with you, I don't know how you, I'm going to look at your presentation, but <laughs> my slides are so incomplete right? that even if the person has all my slides, they, it gives them questions that they then have to go find the answers yeah. to. And if I can supply someone with questions, then I'm all for it. And it's going to lead them towards those sources that you value so much, yes. those books. So that's why on my presentations, uh, like for Perform Better uh, talks that I do, they'll say, can you send us your slides ahead of time? Well, I'm sending those slides out maybe six months before I actually do the show, which is, so you got to be prepared, right? Holy shit. But I make sure that the slides that I send them are almost like a, it's almost like a roadmap through my presentation without it being my presentation. Yep. So I send them almost like, and I, I leave like, like blank, almost blank ones. 
so I know that they can make a note there almost, you know, and I'll, I'll, the very first slide will say this, by the way, if these slides look different, it's because I've created this for you so that you're going to be able to take better notes. Right. But then when I actually do the presentation, I only have pictures. I don't have words on my slides. Mm -hmm. So really my, my slideshow, if you were to see it in print, it wouldn't make any sense to you. Just be like, this looks like an Instagram, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's an Instagram story. So um, I'm not afraid to do that. Yeah. Um, and I also, uh, instead of taking other people's information, I just make shit up. So, <laughs> so I don't have to worry about copyright laws or anything like that. <laughs> you know, I, I like that too. I like that too. Okay, so I want to move on to your, your facility you have back home. Yeah. Uh, so for those who don't know, uh, Jason is a fellow Canadian, so which yep. obviously makes him amazing right off the start. Take off, you hoser. Yeah. So um, back home, someone's going to come to your facility. What, what, what's the experience going to be for the average person walking in there? Okay, well, our facility is a junior uh, academy. Uh, it's called the Tour Performance Lab in uh, Northview, Northview Gunch, uh, Golf and Country Club, which you might remember back in the day we had the PGA Tour yeah, there. absolutely. Uh, it's where Mike Weir actually won his first... Uh, what was that called back then? It was called the Air Canada Air Championship. Canada, yes. Yeah. So, uh, and then come full circle, I actually just started working with Mike. And oh, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. There and you go. and it's a, so it's a Canadian connection, right? Coming it. coming around full I circle. And I shared that story with him. I said I was actually at Northview where I work. He goes, "Where's your Where's your facility?" I, well, I'll come up and visit you. And I'm like, yeah. "Yeah, I'm actually where you won the championship." <laughs> so, um, no. But if someone comes to our facility, we're a year long coaching program. So the idea is that you're you're kind of joining in the team and you're being yep. a part of of a program you start in september and it runs for a year we do obviously have adults that come in and they you know they do their their fitness programs we do tpi screening and all that kind of stuff but the the meat and potatoes of it is high school aged kids um and we we yeah we treat them like like team canada we yeah. just basically took that model and built it out and then we also have the little kids. We got like the, you know, eight, eight year old to 12, like the prepubescent child. Right, right, we right. have a group for them, but I'm not allowed to coach them because <laughs> apparently I'm too old school. My expectations are too high. Um, so, so we have, yeah, we have coaches that specialize in young kids as well. And I love it. That's great. So obviously you said you do TPI screens, junior programs. Um, is your facility predominantly or only golf or multi-sport? The facility is golf. Like yeah. we're actually on the driving range. So yeah. like my gym is built in the range so you can roll up the door and technically you could hit golf balls out of my gym. Yeah. It's only, this, this is the crazy part, this part that people don't understand. It's only 400 square feet, my gym space. Yeah, no, that's good. And I always say uh, square foot for square foot is probably one of the most uh, lucrative gyms in North America because of the fact that it's year-long coaching. We have, we have the kids in there like machines. Every, every hour we have four to six kids going through that, yeah. through that facility. It's a small space. So that that environment really cultivates uh, communication between the golf pro and the and the fitness side. So I could just pop my head in and say, "Hey, we got something going on here. Can you check this out? Are you seeing this in their swing?" Yeah. So it really feels like golf fitness. But then in the off hours, that's when I'll work with some of my ath other athletes, um, some of my other rotational athletes, and they'll come to the facility because guess what? Everybody loves golf. Yeah. No, yeah. My snowboarders, my right. hockey players, they all want to play golf. So they come and do a workout, and they usually bring their clubs and hit some balls afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's funny because, you know, you're talking about Mike Weir, and now, you know, he's coming back, in essence, uh, to where he started his, his winning ways. Yeah. I started in golf. My first non-office location was at Glen Abbey, and my facility there, it, I, it couldn't have been more than 400 square feet. Yeah. 
and we literally just got whatever we could find, put this little gym together, and trained really, really elite level Is that players. off the tee box? What? There's like so that, that little building off. Little yeah, building, yeah. So I know. We were yeah. actually like kind of in the back where they, they, the golf cart uh, storage is, is kind yeah. of where we had set up. And then we kind of slowly expanded it, and then I left and moved down to Orlando. But, you know, a lot of the time I've been in Florida, I've done a lot of my work, honestly, out of my house. And a lot of my, so I'm just very fortunate where my, my house is set up. I've got a beach. I've got a, a, a field for throwing aspects. But a lot of it's done in my garage, and it's, it's we've converted into a gym. Like, you would walk in, if you right. think it was a garage, you would think it was a gym, but it's the size of a double-sized yeah. garage, right? And we've had tons of world-class athletes from track, from um, European football, obviously golf, all kinds of guys, MLB, NBA, whatever, come in there, and it's in my garage. Right. Right? So that's the one thing that I think most people don't realize is there's a ton of unbelievable trainers yep. not training in like what's that life fitness yeah yeah places okay this is the crazy thing because i i truly believe the best piece of equipment in a gym is space like i'm looking for open space where people can move and both of us work in the tiniest spaces um but in our spaces i'm sure yours is the same there's equipment that we can bring into the space but the space is the primary absolutely uh, part of the gym and I still do that to, to this day. When I used to work with uh, the University of British Columbia, um, it was back literally, uh, it was 20 years ago. So that's a long time ago. And yeah. golf fitness was not cool back then. No, well, so, golf wasn't cool back so then. So guess what? It was, yeah, it, it was so uncool <laughs> that they wouldn't even let us in the actual strength conditioning gym. Oh, really? So we were given a basketball court at 630 in the morning on a Wednesday. Okay. That's it. Okay. So that's, again, I had to adapt to having no equipment. And having two teams, men's and women's team, with just a basketball court and condition these athletes. And we won championships, not because of my fitness, but I'm just saying we had a winning program. Yeah, it didn't inhibit their winning. by Absolutely not. And so for years, I had to figure out body weight exercises that we could actually generate speed. Plyometrics and develop plyometrics for the upper body, lower body, rotational plyometrics with just zero equipment. And then we introduced like bands and, you know, working as a team. You and I as two athletes working with bands, working with medicine balls and anything. Now I'm starting to carry the golf bag with some equipment. So really, like, we, we kind of jumped forward from that when we talked about Team Canada. But this, this approach of training with minimal equipment has been the story of my career. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, you, you, you know, you hit it perfectly there. When you're using minimal equipment, you have to start analyzing the athlete to a much higher degree because you need to figure out how to work with that athlete to the best of their ability. Versus, remember back in the day, everyone was on, like, the Nautilus equipment, right? <laughs> You don't have to think because you just put them on this thing and there's only one way it can move. There's also a picture. Yes. If you want to know what yes. muscle it's working. Absolutely. So <laughs> like when you have that kind of equipment, which is obviously terrible, you don't have to think, even if you have thousands of dollars worth of equipment. But when you bring it down to just body weight or body weight and medicine balls, um, like you said, band, the growth as a, a trainer, as a therapist, as someone working with the body is so much more than oh, it yeah. would be with all the other equipment, right? And when you look at, even if you look at athletes, um, like fighters when they're training, the athletes who generally have not that much but grind it out, they do, they excel versus right. the people who have all kinds of equipment and don't feel the need to grind because they're just out there pushing whatever and pulling and Absolutely. doing very high-tech sort of equipment. 
So yeah, you, you get kind of forced into like us developing our training techniques based on your environment, right? So like anything, like you talk so much about how the body adapts and how nature adapts and, and I loved your talk today, it was fantastic. It, it, it actually, it surmised all the conversations we have when we're on the road together and you're right, like, yeah. hey Jay, you gotta start looking at these energy stuff and I get a little piece of it and then it's like, oh, hold on, someone's coming, we gotta stop yeah, talking. Yeah. Yeah. But for you to actually present it in that format was, was wonderful. Um, and it gets my mind thinking a lot. So the thing that I'm geeked out on now, I don't know how deep we can go into this, Let's but the, the thing I'm geeked out on right now is uh, my minor in, in college was psychology. Yep. And my minor has now become my major influencer on my athletes. Right. Because my major was human kinetics, but I feel like, okay, I understand. I know how to train people. I've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. But now I'm looking at not just how the body is interacting, but actually how the mind is, is responding to the training. So I'm looking at um, like conscious versus subconscious training. Like you said, you, on a Nautilus machine, you don't have to think. You just sit yeah. in it and move. You could be planning out what you want to get at the grocery store while you're working out. But conscious coaching is where they're actually, you can see their eyes. You can see the, the tongue out of their mouth or their mouth shifts because there's concentration as they're trying to do these complex movement patterns. And when I have somebody in that state, it exhausts them mentally. Yes. And so you have to be very careful where you, you have to go into a, like a deep conscious coaching session, maybe for one, for like 12 reps, and then you have to break out of it and almost just go do jump rope mm -hmm. so that they can go, you know, let their brain rest and then go back into some intensity. But now what I've been doing is, is manipulating that into not just conscious and subconscious, but going into reactive training yeah so now they have to react to their environment or the stimuluses around them and what it's done is it's because of the nhl guys it's created the not only reactive but predictive yeah they can start predicting the next movement or the way their body should move before the in impulses even occurred yeah so Sir, i'm geeking out on that kind had, of stuff i had to laugh because mark blackburn was just behind camera there oh was he causing a distraction like he likes to do yeah like he likes well there's to. an example we just finished doing a workout me and mark yeah. um whenever we're on the road we travel a lot together and yeah. both on tour and with tpi and uh i train him every day like awesome. every day that we're on the road and what do we do we're in this great hotel here with a great uh you know gym and we found the aerobics room where there's no equipment with just some medicine balls and we just trained in there. Awesome, I love it. Same thing, and you know yeah. what? So think about it, if I train him every day that I, we're on the road, so that's like at least four days a month, mm -hmm. and I've done that for 10 years, okay? Yeah. I've had two golf lessons from him. I know, you're getting the short end of the <laughs> stick. I'm getting the short Big end of time. the stick here. <laughs> Big time, that's so funny. So yeah, okay. So that's extremely interesting. And one of the reasons I find that interesting is they, you know, they've done a lot of studies showing People who, they call it exercise, but in essence, we're doing outdoor activities, being just active lifestyles, right? Yep. And how that minimizes the onset of dementia and Alzheimer's and all kinds of brain-related um, issues. Now, obviously, you could go into what I talked about earlier in my lecture about how the energy transfer and how that all leads into it. Yep. But the other component go to it goes into what you just mentioned is when you're outside, like if I go for a run, a trail run through nature, right? I have to be very much aware of my surroundings because there's roots on the ground. Yes. You gotta go around winding bands, up and down hills. So you're constantly taking in your environment, right? Yes. Whether you're conscious or not about it. Versus if I go and run on a treadmill, right. I, do, I don't have to think about anything. No. And so, you know, I always hear people saying, oh, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing some running because I heard it was good, prevent, um, brain related issues later in life well 
how much of it is the fact that they're moving, maybe, and how much of it is what is happening while they're outside or working right. in an environment where they, they aren't able to predict what's going on, but they can start reacting to it and using the brain in a way that ties the brain into the active component. Absolutely. So what you're talking about makes complete sense to me. And it's one of the reasons, as you said, it's exhausting. Like if you're writing an exam mm -hmm. for two hours, I come out of an exam and I write one, I'm fried. Right. Right. So if you're dialed into something, even for short bursts, the amount of energy you're putting into that is incredible. Yes. Versus I can go run on a treadmill forever. Yes. Well, not forever, but for, <laughs> for quite a while. And I'll get tired, you know, my legs get tired and stuff like that, but I don't ever feel mentally fried afterwards. Right. So I live in the great Northwest and in my backyard, jealous I know in my backyard, we have these wonderful, this wonderful forest and it's all like old cedars and those big gnarly roots and yeah. stuff. And, uh, and I like to run through there. I run through there probably three or four days a week just for like 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, and you're, yeah, like you're cutting around stumps and stuff. And it's weird when I get back from there, I almost have like a meditative, um, feeling like a response. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, like you said, I, I am very there's a part of my brain that is actively trying to negotiate the terrain, but there's another part of my brain that is, is like, and I'm listening to music, which is strange. So music input, the other side of my brain is actually being very creative. And I do that before I do record my podcast because it, it, it almost fuels my brain for, for the conversation I'm going to have yeah. usually with myself. Um, <laughs> but my point is this, it's somehow that, that process is similar to sleep or meditation where all these jumbled thoughts, when I get back from that run, they make sense. Mm -hmm. So like if you're writing an exam, cramming right before you go in the exam, I always tell my, my kids, my daughter's in college now, you, if you're going into an exam, don't cram on the night before or sit right before you go in class and try and jam in notes. You're better off having a good night's sleep because that sleep sorts the information you took in mm -hmm. and it puts it in order. Yeah. The subconscious mind can sort. So for some reason that meditative run that I do sorts my mind and gives me clarity yeah. when I return. So you'd Absolutely. know the science behind it. All I know is that yeah. that's what, that's no, what happens. It, it makes complete sense. You know, obviously where you are, especially you're with all those other species. We talked about this yeah. before, right? All these other electromagnetic waves and frequencies coming off, but there's so many, we're, we're just, we're blinded to it because there's so much going on in our lives right now. So much stimulus happening at all times. Most of us don't need to go pick our, our own mushrooms and berries and everything right. else, right? Whereas back in the day, they did, and they were able to recognize patterns um, within the nature, but also start to recognize sequences of, of things that were happening. So I still think that's in us. It just isn't expressed because we don't know what to do with it. So the information's coming in, but we just don't know how to manipulate it to get answers yet. Well, some people do, obviously, who, right. who do that kind of work. But if you're going out there and you're kind of connecting yourself into nature, even if it's not you know, direct contact with your skin, but just being in around that environment, the amount of patterns that you know, humans have had for thousands and thousands of years by being connected with that has to be in there. You know, it's got to be. And somehow from you going in that environment, it just opens up all those doors. Yeah, we were talking about that the, the last time we, were, we started getting into this stuff. Yeah. And I was just saying how there's something about, not to get woo-woo, yeah. um, but there's something about the, the trees. There's something about the energy that I feel from you know, yeah. being around them. Like there, there's just a, a sense of like calmness. My, my nervous system is relaxed. My, my thoughts, it, it, there's something about that. And when you, I never knew why, I just thought it was just good to be out in nature. Yeah. But when you started tying in all the energy stuff and, and earthing yourself yeah. or, or grounding, 
Yeah. Man, oh man, it all started making sense. So the next time I went in the, in the, it sounds so weird. My wife goes, oh God. But I went in the forest. I put my hand on a tree because yeah. I was just like, this, there's something. I just wanted to acknowledge that this is, this is like Absolutely. special. It's special. So I, I was just in San Francisco last week. And uh, every time I go there, I, I spend some time uh, in the, the Muir, Muir Woods Forest, which is where all the big redwoods are. Yes. Right? It's an unbelievable, powerful place. So when I'm there, those, those trees have been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. I think some of them are over 1,000, 2,000 years old. So they've, they've experienced a lot. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I have absolutely no problem. I just go just like you and I'll just spend <laughs> some time just entangling myself yeah. with that, right? And I'm actually, uh, when I go to Korea this week on my way home, I just found out this morning that I have a 12-hour layover in San wow. Francisco, which sucks. But now I'm going to get off the plane and go straight over to that rent-a-car, cool. go to the forest, hang out there, get that energy. Yeah. And when I come back to Orlando, I'll feel way better. I know when I came back this time from San Francisco, I felt amazing Cool. afterwards. And usually I feel a little dragged out, right? Right. Yeah, there's something to that, man. Oh, but absolutely. you made me aware of it. That's that's part of it. I think there's a lot of things that we just don't know. Everybody just goes, oh, it feels good to be in the sunshine. Well, yeah, of course it does. Mm-hmm. Um, you're getting all that vitamin D. And and uh, in the winter, I just feel a little bit more glum. Like, we know now that the, there's there's an energy there. But you go so much deeper into that. And uh, when you came on my podcast and shared some of that stuff, uh, we kept saying, like, I don't know how deep we want to go on this because, yeah, like, yeah. we might lose the crowd. But it was one of the most uh, one of the most talked about. Uh, podcasts that I've had oh, cool. because we are willing to go there. We right. are willing to go into some of those uh, those uh, those spaces that most people don't want to talk about because yeah. we're supposed to be professionals. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> it's so funny. Is people people like to be scientific until the science doesn't align with what their thought process is. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so that's fascinating. Okay, so now I'm going to fast forward to some of the work you're doing out here on the PGA tour mm-hmm. and. Part of the reason I want to talk about that is you have a very unique situation because you have these year-long programs that you're doing with the young athletes, Yep. right? Then you come out, you work with, um, you know, people who are, are competing at the highest level of the sport. But the differences uh, in scheduling, in kind of the day-to-day lifestyles of mm-hmm. those two populations couldn't be further apart, right? right? Now... How do you take the information that you have from years and years of, of experience working with people um, at home, mm-hmm. right, in their off season or just off weeks, and then how are you able to implement information from that into the strategies you're going to use for players who are barely ever home, and then also how do you then recommend uh, things from the what you've learned from working with these guys out here, right, and bring it back. back home. Yeah, that that's an interesting. Uh, that's a great question because there is there is some crossover in those two elements. I always say that w- when you're working with high school age kids, that's my favorite thing to do. I'm more known for like the you know the professional athlete that you work with because that sounds sexier. But uh, with the professional athlete, you're changing maybe two to five percent of their right. performance. Where with the uh, junior. We're changing maybe some in some of them fifty to like thirty to fifty percent uh, performance changes. So you have better influence on them. Yeah. And also, you can make mistakes. Yeah. Don't tell their parents that. No, but I'm no, just I'm just true. saying. It's no, true. but you, you can you can make mistakes. Um, so if I'm if I'm 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 working on a new protocol or a new concept, I'm going to try it first on myself. Yeah. 
and I work it into my own training. Then I bring it into my juniors and I experiment with it there. And then I start to it, like implement it into my philosophy of training, which ends up working with the tour pro. Right. But like you said, it's, there's also an inverse or reverse relationship where the challenges that were given by the pros, because you're only trying to change 2%, it forces you to go deeper into some areas that you normally would not go. Yeah. And by going deeper, what that does is it unravels some, some, uh, some answers that you would never have found working with the lower level population that doesn't right. have those needs. But it, un like, it unravels knowledge and, and techniques that you would never even have seen before. Now you bring it to the generalized population and you see it go, whoa, whoa, we got there faster. Right. So yep. they feed off of each other. Um, and it all comes from the challenge of what the client needs. One of the, one of the questions I get quite often, and I, my, my answer is generally the same, like, especially now with this wraparound schedule that we have to deal with, unfortunately. You know, I, I honestly have some guys who, if I think their longest break of the year in between tournaments might be three or four yeah, weeks. Yeah, three weeks, yeah, right? probably, yeah. And the topic is that constantly comes up is building a periodization yeah. program for these guys. And for me, a lot of it, you know, I can measure all the parameters I want from biological markers and whatnot. You know, I might have a guy who's scheduled to do two weeks, but doesn't play well, and then plays six in a row, then has one off. Or it might go one on, one off, one on, one off, five in a row. Yep. And how have you dealt with trying to make long-term improvements with your athletes with some of the variables of not knowing, like they can tell you what their schedule is, but yeah. unlike a hockey schedule, yeah. it's not fixed, right? Absolutely. It can change literally Friday afternoon yeah. the next week. <laughs> so how do you deal with your athletes in building that program? And how often do you create a plan and then have to change that plan. Yeah, well, we're adapting it constantly. Um, but what I found was, from my perspective, I know what the physical, like the physical aspects of the body and how to generate, you know, growth, and then manage the plateaus and then get more growth and, and try not to lose anything. So I know physiologically, the, the recipe, if you will, right. to, to get the results. But I have to get the athlete to buy in to the fact that we're in a strength phase right now, and I understand that you have a tournament this week, but if we don't do this now, then come playoff season, you know, in September, you're going to be 10 pounds lighter than you are now. You're going to be slower. You're going to be weaker. You're, um, you're also maybe going to get sick. You're all these, all these things that maybe happened in your past. We got to do this training now to avoid that when it counts. Mm -hmm. And I always say to them, I always say, they go, but yeah, I, get, I don't like to be sore when I'm on the road. I say to them, well, if, you, if we don't train, who are you going to be in five years? Yeah. Now tell me who do you want to be? And they tell you, of course, when they tell you who they want to be, I want to be bigger, stronger, faster. Okay. So the only way we're going to get there is if we actually train through some of these <laughs> weeks. But you know what? Okay. So people always say, well... For these guys, you got to periodize and you got to peak for the majors. Oh, yeah. Okay, Absolutely. that's that's such a great yeah. great statement. Adam Hadwin, who's been a player of mine for almost seven years now, um, he made the point. I was like, we, you know, we can't really periodize because you don't really have any weeks off, uh, long enough time to actually do a strength phase. But we are going to have to train through some of these. And he says, and I go, but I'll make sure that we taper for the majors. And he goes, I, I don't understand this uh, peaking for the major stuff. He goes, I want to win every week. And he goes, I don't care if they call it a small tournament or a big tournament. A win is a win. Like, 
I, I'm trying to do my best. There's no tournament I go to and I go, oh, well, I'm not going to try my best this week because right. it's, yeah. not a, it's not a major. So he goes, every tournament is a major for me. But our training, we can still evolve it so that if you are going to be working for four weeks in a row, we've tapered it off so the, the neural load and the, and the tissue load that, that they've been under isn't putting them into a deficit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes, com that makes complete sense. Absolutely. <clears throat> what's, uh, what's next for you? You know, I, I, I can't even imagine what you're going to do because you have your facility at a home. Yeah. You've got a, uh, a clientele out on the PGA Tour. You're working with TPI. You have your own lectures. You have your podcast studio. Um, I think you still have a wife. <laughs> yeah, um, I do. Yeah. So, so you know, wh where do you see your time being devoted moving forward? Because one of the things that I know I have an issue with right now is there are so many like cool opportunities professionally. Yes. Right. And they're all great. Like. Being here at the World Golf Fitness Summit is a great opportunity, yeah. especially since it's in Orlando and I don't have to travel for it. <laughs> yeah, it must that be definitely nice. doesn't hurt. But at some point, you just can't do everything. That's right. Right. So That's right. Where do you see? You know, you talk about where do you want to be yeah. as an athlete in five years. Right. What's What's the glass five year story? What's it look well, like? My mission in life is to inspire others to greatness. Yep. That's, that's been my mission for the last five years. It's why I started the Coach Glass podcast, because I wanted a, a platform where I could inspire people and educate them, but also give them a little bit of like, like a little bit of insight into how they could be their best, both mentally you know, and physically. So I'm doing that. I'm doing what I've set my goal to be, which is inspiring others to greatness. The athlete stuff, which is I probably get more knowledge for or, uh, or credit for, yeah. is actually a smaller part of, of my load, if you will, my workload. And yeah. my home business, I have fantastic staff. They're, they're great. So I don't have to be there every day. So it sounds like, like you said, it must be crazy to do this, but I actually spend more time at home with my family when I'm home than most people do because... I'm trying to, my, my podcast and my website where we have our, our uh, exercise program, all that stuff, it, it's kind of like it's, it's a business that runs almost on itself. Yep. And then when I have to go on the road to travel to um, speak, well, guess what? I'm inspiring others to greatness. When I'm with my athletes, I'm helping them be at their best. So I'm still achieving my goal. So I see the future is just going to be a continuation of the same, but I'm refining it to the point where I feel like I can reach more people at a deeper level now. Yeah. That's the key. So um, I think you're still going to see, like you're really getting me excited about a video podcast now because I've been doing <laughs> audio for the last five years. But Honestly, I can't take the credit for that because that was all G. <laughs> Way to go, G. Here, um, I'm seeing this camera. setup. It's fantastic. <laughs> because I initially was just thinking, like I listen to podcasts on yeah. my, my phone, right? Yep. And he's like, He's like, bro, there are so many people who want to watch YouTube or whatever it is yeah. who don't listen to podcasts the way you do. Absolutely. I, I never even thought about that. I know. And I'm, I'm starting to watch a lot of podcasts. Then. But really, I see in the next five years, um, I'm just going to be streamlining my, the way that I'm uh, expressing myself to the world so that uh, I can reach more people yeah. and, uh, and make a deeper impact on those people. And then the, with the players, I always say, like, I'm not interested in, in necessarily getting more players or, or having more of that world. I just want to be a part of the story of the players I'm with because I believe in them yeah. and I care about them as people first yes. and athletes second. So 
until they say stop coming out, I'm going to keep on doing it because yeah. I, I just, I, I really, I'm their biggest fan. And, and you're doing amazing work. You know, I, I've had the opportunity to, to see you back in the day working with those young kids. Uh, I get to see windows into your world when you come out on tour. I listen to some of the information you put out in your podcast and obviously the stuff you do with TPI and everything else. Uh, so you're doing amazing stuff. But what I want to know now, mm -hmm. so people are going to get to enjoy a, a glimpse of your world when you do your lecture. Yep. Okay. But I want to learn how to load and explode. So if I was new coming in to see you, what are the things that you're going to look at to see where I'm at and where I should start my progression? Absolutely. To be able to load and explode. The key to loading and exploding in, in my world is I, I truly believe that maybe 80% of my athletes actually have the strength and the physical attributes needed to hit the ball farther or be faster or move better. What my main job is before I start layering on performance and the ability to increase strength and increase speed, increase power, what I want to do is make you as efficient as possible with the body you currently have. So instead of making you bigger and stronger, I'm going to make what you currently have faster and more efficient. Yeah. So it really comes down to screening and understanding what the need is for that athlete. So I try and find those little nuggets that I'm going to get the best bang for my buck. And it sounds corny, but like I said, with the, with the Team Canada stuff, almost every athlete that you apply scapular control, core control, and pelvic control to, they get faster and stronger. So that's, that's like the basis of my, of my programming and my online uh, training program, Load and Explode. It is that. It's 16 weeks of training that progresses you through that, through that, uh, that process. And we always say, like, you have to earn your right to rotate. So we start off with, like, can you control rotation, anti-rotation first yeah. before you start to rotate? So the philosophies behind it are always consistent. But the athlete dictates how much time we're, and energy we're going to put into scapular control because maybe they got really good pelvic control. Yeah. But what I feel like when we do that, we allow them to unleash the speed and the power that they already possess. And that usually accomplishes their main goal. Right. Yeah. After that, now we can layer on the fun stuff, yeah. but we got to take care of that first. No, that makes complete sense. Yeah. So it's a 16-week program. 16-week training program and online. Available online where? I'm going to have this uh, in the notes. Yeah, but. yeah jasonglasspperformancelab.com or jasonglasslab.com. And uh, it's called Load and Explode. And it's, it's kind of like, I like to call it P90X, but for golf. Okay. Yeah, and without the corny uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> host. Exactly. Now, if, if for those of us who um, have a difficulty remembering things, Literally, if I looked up load and then explode, yes, it's load explode. Glass, yeah, I'm gonna be able to find it. Absolutely, okay. or just go on, yeah, Jason Glass Lab um, on Instagram and uh, the Coach Glass Podcast. Um, I think that's where they where they'd want to start. If if you if you start on the podcast and it resonates with you, then I, I feel like my community would be something that uh, that you would enjoy, and uh, I'd love to have them. Awesome. So that is uh, where you're gonna find Jason Glass. I'm gonna have this in the show notes. Um, I really think, especially anyone geographically who is anywhere near Western Canada, it just makes sense to come check you out in yeah, person absolutely. too. Uh, but definitely look them up online. Uh, I, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. I can't wait to have you on again. But because we're here at the World Golf <laughs> Fitness Summit, everyone starts coming out. And the out break and just came out. Yeah, yeah, it's just chaos going on here. I'll stop now and then save tons of information for later. Uh, but for those of you out here, I'm Dr. Craig Davies. This is Achieve Depth Radio, and today's guest was the one, the only, Jason Glass. Fantastic. Thanks, Thanks Craig. Bro. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Awesome.
Can you get a picture uh, for us as well? Injuries, headaches, back problems. We all experience physical pain in our lives, and the majority of that pain is caused by one thing, inflammation. At Luminos, we've created a safe, all-natural pain relief patch that directly targets pain instantly with no side effects. Just apply the Luminos patch directly to an area of pain. The relief can be felt in minutes, and it will last all day. Go to Luminos.com right now and start living without pain today.